Hello. Welcome to my art forum. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your host, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. lot of fun. To, we just met you a couple days ago. Yep. Um, I see pictures of your adorable child on Facebook all the time because Dark's friends with his grandma. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun to actually meet the mother side of things Yeah. and hear about your story and what your life has been like. Yeah. And we heard you wanted to start a podcast. Yeah. And well, then the ball just went because yeah. I was like, I'm going to start my podcast this month. It's been years coming yes. and I'm like, I'm going to finally do it. And then you guys walked in and it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> if the universe is listening, I don't believe you. <laughs> if this isn't a sign, what else? Seriously. Yeah. So what, what, um, I'll jump ahead a little bit. What did you want to make your podcast about? Um, so my podcast is called Gaia Log. Gaia as in G-A-I-A-I. Yep. As no, dialogue. G-A-I-A. Yeah, G-A-I-A. A log. Yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. A dialogue, but So it's dialogue. like... That's totally hashtagable. Extremely hashtagable. And it's like, you know, there's mythos, and then there's logos. And there, so there's like a feminine imagination mm-hmm. of the world. Then there's the logos, like the word, the logic. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of fuse those together and explore this reality that we're all experiencing. Mm. Because... It's a weird one. I have come to the perspective over the past few years that we're all experiencing a different reality at any given moment. From each other. And we just happen to have these crossovers where we're like, oh, I am also a mother. You are also a mother. You know, like, I drive a car. You drive a car. And so we sort of think we're in the same universe. But but it's like, especially over the last couple of years, there's been so much division between people Mm -hmm. across so many spectrums. It seems like you really can't count that this person is in the same universe that you're in or that they're thinking yeah. they observe things the same way that you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we're all in our own worlds for yeah. sure. Some of us are in the same ones for a little while, yeah. but then even then, something gets triggered and it expands your awareness and your perspective. And, and maybe not then you have to them. explore <laughs> the new perspective from there. So mm-hmm. we might meet up for a little while, but I don't yeah. think we're meant to stay in the same place mm. or with the same people like forever. That's definitely like a super modern orthodox view of relationships that like, yeah. like super modern, I mean in the, like the last couple hundred years, the orthodox has been, oh, you mate for life and that's it, you know? Yeah. And you find your, you have your hometown and that's your hometown forever, that's so you funny. know? That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's the norm for so many people. And there's so much grief. Default. For folks when when something squishes them up against this boundary of like, maybe I'm not supposed to be friends with those people from high school forever. Yeah. And I think that's pretty interesting because that's just a sign of the times of what we're experiencing now. With so many people experiencing trauma like worldwide because of the divide that money creates. Mm Mm-hmm. And how many of us of us there are now? Like, 
growing up, I was on food stamps, like my family, we didn't really have much. If we didn't live with my grandpa, we probably wouldn't have had one house oh, for gotcha. too long. Mm -hmm. But we lived, I lived in at least like 20 houses by the time I was 18. So we were always, always moving around. And I feel like, you know, my mom had a couple boyfriends at a time, so did my dad. My dad would meet a new girlfriend on the plane and then bring her in the mood all like cruise. Wow, you know? yeah. So it was just, there wasn't much stability in my life. So everything was always fluid, like right. in and out. Mm. And I can see how other people, like it's not just me who've experienced mm. that. So many people, that's their reality too. There's not a sense of stability because their parents were, were kids and are still kids while they're raising kids, mm -hmm. right? So right. that they got like, locked into that that moment where the where the kid the kid occurred, yeah, and then they didn't really have the energy to develop past that point. No, my mom was fifteen wow. when I was born. Right? Yeah. So is your mom going back and doing like getting to know herself or doing any kind of like now that the kids are grown? I'm guessing most of the kids are grown, or do you still have siblings at home? Um. I'm one of seven, okay. and I have an older brother who I've only met a couple times. Holy cow. He lives, but not for my mom, yeah. for my dad. Okay, gotcha. And then I have, uh, I think, four younger sisters. Yeah. And then my brother. So, I don't really know. I only know my brother and my 15-year-old my sister. So, even there, right. more instability. Uh-oh, we got a yard worker here. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hi. He's background. 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 Oh, Isabella Cash is tuning in from New Zealand. Nice. That's so cool. That's so exciting. And then um, Lo Rochelle tuned in earlier from the Bay Area. Lo nice. Rochelle is listening from the Bay Area. That's so exciting. Very exciting. Have yeah. you been to New Zealand? Yes, I have. And I actually, my dad just got a message on 23andMe from one of our, like, cousins oh. and he has like all this information about which of the five ships we arrived oh wow from Aotearoa and like it was pretty great wow so wait wait wait, wait. Strong, like Polynesian I, style gonna, way back in the day catamaran ship from Aotearoa oh yeah <laughs> like we were amazing. on one of the five yeah so I would butcher it but my dad got this long message from like one wow. of our one just reaching out and letting cousins. you know. Yeah, so then my dad was like, what's your number, you know? And then he called the guy, like, right then. We had this whole conversation with him. That's so, really like, crazy. the 23andMe, he's finding family members through that? Yeah. Hey, just, you know, I know things about our family. Yeah. You know, and, like, spreading yeah, this generational... Yeah, so somebody generational... with my dad, and mm -hmm. they recognized him, because my dad's, like, in Hawaii Five-0, uh, and in, like, a couple movies, and he's, yeah. like well-known professional big wave surfer okay so i think the guy just recognized him and then he was like whoa i have some information for you yeah i know you're gonna like <laughs> I, lo I love that i i feel as though i don't have a heritage um i'm like i grew up at a super white growing up upbringing but i knew that my father was part alaskan native mm. um he had been adopted so we only met his birth father a couple of times while I was a child and, and like you know yeah Papa Nick we know Papa Nick you know but um, we didn't have any kind of native experience or connection growing up and then so my heritage growing up was super conservative um, evangelical Christianity 
Um, but like my my heritage was the church and the church elders and the church history and like Martin Luther and we, you know we mm-hmm. obviously weren't taught about all the genocide and the manipulation and the mistreatment of women um, in the church history just like and the, 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 the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all the really great stuff <laughs> um, all the like liberating people from the state and stuff like that and so uh, when I stopped going to church um, like seven years ago. I, I, I began to realize that I really had like lost my heritage. You know, I didn't have this sense of no tribal identity. No tribal identity. No. Well, and specifically tribal identity, because I can have, I can choose tribal identities in the present. You know, I could say I'm definitely um, L, uh, part of the LGBTQ. I'm definitely, um, you know, I could just say, you know, I can pick current tribal identities, but this idea of having a past mm-hmm. of like people to think back on and yeah. pe- where did I come from and how did I get here and what sorts of things are affecting me for good and ill these days, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's so exciting that you guys are able to trace backwards to how you even arrived on this island and the people yeah. that you arrived with. Yeah, and there's so much information out there, it's kind of hard to like figure out where to even start looking for that kind of stuff. So mm. I was really grateful that that mm. guy reached out. It's mm-hmm. a big starting point. And that point. he had it, you know, right. because it's like, I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. So do you get obsessive and like want to make a family tree? No. Really? Because like, for me, <laughs> it's like the minute I'm like, oh my god, we need to like sort all these names and figure out who the, like, what the giant... Yeah, just this desire, this desire to have this sense of family. I know. I think that it's cool, but I just, I don't really approach things in that way, I guess. Life has brought me so many crazy, bizarre things already yeah. that mm-hmm. I'm kind of just like, I don't need to look for it. I don't need to do it. It just reveals itself to me. Mm. Like, here are a couple examples of weird things that have happened in my benefit that I couldn't have planned. So my mom's, I'm not really going to talk much about my childhood because I respect my mom and my dad's privacy and, and I love their and, current experience. Yeah. yeah. And, but I will say that my mom is somewhat homeless cause she, she would say houseless. Yeah. Right. She doesn't I know feel like she doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't have a house and she mm-hmm. doesn't want to live the way that we all live. But, um, she. So when she first became houseless, she had a van that she lived in and she had all of her stuff from our home in a box. And one day, someone found her van and it wasn't working anymore and it was just abandoned and it hadn't been that way for a while. So someone was taking it to throw the van away and this man happened to be there and he went, looked in the box and recognized my eyes in all of the baby pictures. What? So then he somehow got a hold of my grandpa and brought all of my baby pictures, everything that I had made for my mom for Mother's Day, her favorite shoes, her favorite bags, her memorabilia, everything was in this one box. And this guy recognized me from my baby photos and brought them to my house. That's amazing. Yeah. That's lovely. And then another time I was in Radio Shack. Back when that was the thing. <laughs> and this guy walked up to me and he recognized my eyes because when I was a kid, I was all eyes and all nostrils. I was just like, you know? <laughs> so he recognized me and he said he was at this beach one day and 
I was babysat by a lot of different people when right. I was a kid because my parents were doing whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a thing on an island that like everyone raises everyone's kids because the kids kind of raise each other too, mm-hmm. so it's easier to have yeah. that tribal mentality. But sometimes kids get away from you. So I slipped into the water and I started to drown and this guy had jumped in and saved me. Mm. And then I was 17 and he recognized me in Radio Shack and I was just like crying in Radio Shack, like thanking this man for my life. So it's like things like that happen to me all the time. And so I don't really ever feel like I have to always have this sense of like the universe is very connected to you. Yeah. And it's almost like one of this woman that I really love her um, energy and healing work. She talks about intention Mm -hmm. and she says that your intention is actually the sum total of all of your energy at once. Mm. And so your intention that you put out into the universe is the collective of everything you're feeling. And lately I've been contemplating that a lot because if that's the case, then the only way to change our intention is to change our perspective mm. and to learn something new. Because mm. right? all your anxieties so, are in that as well. Right. Yeah. So knowledge truly is power in that sense because the more that you learn, the more that you change your mind, the more that you change your intention and mm. let go of things that could have held you down otherwise Yeah. and start becoming more. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Very much. I think, I think no, the 23 and Me thing has been interesting because we had a friend in town in Butte who um, thought that he was a particular genealogy mm-hmm. and then suddenly found out that his parents were not his parents. I had a friend who found out that her dad was not her dad. And he was not that, he was not from that country, like his whole identity was like pride in this thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then at 70 something years old, he's yeah. suddenly having to redefine his whole like, if I'm not that, then what am I? <laughs> and sort of lurching around of like, what? Whoa group can I claim because I so valued being that guy but I'm obviously not that guy so who am I and I think it's been really jarring and interesting for a lot of people when like you get called by a son you didn't know you had mm-hmm. or you find out you had brothers you didn't know you had um, yeah. well and, and for I, this friend in particular all of the people that would have been able to tell him who his real dad was, his real dad, you know, were already dead. Done at that point, right? So oh he, he will just never know. Whoa. In this life, you know? So I think that's an interesting, it's a, I find it's a big part of what we do in our show is the idea of like your, his orthodox perspective of himself got shattered mm. by a new reality. And then what's left and what is that experience like? Um, I think for a lot of people, they've had um, an experience of of an identity, and then that identity gets challenged, and you either double down on that identity and say, screw you, new information, I'm just going to continue to be Scottish, mm-hmm. even though I know I'm not, or you have to sort of reevaluate everything. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had, and I think it's also interesting with your work and the kind of stuff that you're you're looking into and diving into. There's the idea of the genetic line, this linear genetic line, and then this idea of maybe there's something, maybe the genetic beings are, I'm just gonna throw this out there and we can rip from there. Maybe the genetic being is like a pickup truck or a Prius or a Ferrari, but the driver might be anything. 
Yeah. And so, like, you have this genetic, the creature genetic line. Mm, the physical carbon-based genetic line. But there may be some Other star lineage or however you yeah. call it. I don't mm -hmm. even know what the terminology right is. Right terms. Yeah. 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 Cosmic lineage. Mm -hmm. Did you have some, when did you come into that being a thing that you were interested in? Um, well, it's hard to say. Mm. I feel like... It really started solidifying for me after I sat with ayahuasca. Mm. Um, but what was funny was that after I sat with ayahuasca and my mind opened to that, then I was inspired to dive deeper into my Hawaiian history. Oh, And then in the Kumulipo, the chant of creation, it says that we came directly here from the Pleiades. That wait, 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 which culture does a Kumulipo chant? Hawaiian. Hawaiian, oh. yeah. The Kumulipo is a Hawaiian creation chant of how we came to be. Cool. And so they, and many different tribes from all around the world, say that we came directly from the stars. To Hawaii. Some people believe they came from Sirius. Some people be believe they came from Andromeda. Uh, Dogon tribe is Sirius. I kind of had this intuitive thing where it was like, on your way to Earth, you kind of like stop at different star systems and like absorb knowledge from those oh. things. Then you come through the Pleiades, or then. And then if you can like align with whichever, um, you can align with whichever system you came from, that can be a big deal. Yeah. Like if you find out. Yeah. So the first time that I did ayahuasca. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. And, and would you mind just letting people know what ayahuasca is? For right. Well, and before even before that, okay. um, we never did do the the three second bio of Mahina Alexander, an old Deb yeah. old Deb in Idaho asked if we could reintroduce. She always wants to know who we're talking to, okay. and that's that's why I was mentioning earlier. Sometimes it's not easy to give so maybe the bio of the week because yeah. we yeah. you do a lot of different things. So yeah. how do you identify yourself in the Moment. And it's tough because you don't know, like we have a broad spectrum of people listening from all over the place, so you're not, you're not like, if I were defining myself to someone who I was trying to get a job from, that would be a different bio. I, I work feel well like, with people. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am a consciousness explorer, mm. somebody who knows that I don't know too much, but wants to know more. Awesome. And I'm open to discussing what I've experienced and sharing that in a way that makes others feel safe to share their experiences as well. Mm. To gather more information to feel safe enough to start enjoying my life. Yeah. So now I have a 15 month old son and I just want to be able to feel present and grounded and clear and empowered and like I can take on anything that comes my way. Yeah. And so I'm just following my heart step by step to see mm. whatever life presents to me because I know it's all a lesson. Because you want to become present with your kid. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the other version of me is like so it the short version is that I grew up in Hawaii and Eventually, my dad convinced me that it would be a good idea for me to be a model. Okay. Because he thought that that would make me lots of money. The eyeballs being 
I moved to LA and I started attempting that and I was so depressed that I started smoking and drinking mm. a lot. Not so good depressed. for the modeling. No, and I actually never went to any castings because the driver for the agency, she and I became like best friends. She was like 50 something. She'd pick me up, we'd drink and smoke together. <laughs> we'd, eat, we'd eat corn dogs on the dock. <laughs> and we would just talk shit about everyone. It was so low vibes. But it was so funny. It's some of my most treasured memories because it was just fucking hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, the modeling life was not for me. Everyone just looked so mad all the time. <laughs> just like, uh. eh, yeah. I just couldn't do it. But that's when I started exploring like crystals. Mm -hmm. I started seeing 333 everywhere. Oh. Like everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and then I, I I was still talking to my mom at that point and I asked her, like, what does this mean? I'm literally seeing Where's this number come from? everywhere. And she's like, oh, you were born at 333. And that's I was like, nice. what the fuck? So uh, that started opening up. I started having an interest in crystals in um, the unseen world. I've always had really crazy dreams. I can remember like the first dream I've ever had. It was in kindergarten. Mm. And it was it involved this boy that I had a crush on, which was why it made me remember it, right? right. So it was like funny, but I've always had this really like intimate connection with my subconscious through dreams. And I feel like that's been my therapy mm. throughout everything. But when I was 15, that's when I started kind of having like out of body astral experiences. I was laying in my bed one night and snowflakes started falling from the ceiling. And I was just like, is this really happening? And, and having grown up in Hawaii, like had you ever seen snow no, for real? No, I've still never seen snow. Mm. So I was just opening my <laughs> eyes like this. I was like, is this really happening? And it was, and the hole just got bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was so baffled that I wasn't labeling it. I was just uh, in awe. Yeah. So now I've had experiences recently, side note, where I'll see something out of the corner of my eye and I'll be like, oh, that might be, and then it goes away. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I was 15, I, I didn't have as much book knowledge on it as I do now. Right. So I wasn't labeling or defining it as anything. Mm -hmm. I was just simply observing and then I became Simultaneously, I was like moving through parallel lives, right? Mm -hmm. I'm laying in my bed, and then I'm a Russian man after a long day with five other Russian men, and I'm understanding Russian right. like it's English. Mm -hmm. And we're all wearing these really fluffy hats, and we're just going like this, and we're like, how old were you when that happened? Fifteen. So, wow. So, do you worry? Okay, just sidebar. Do you worry that like your consciousness isn't stuck to your body very well, and that you might just whoo -hoo, someday? Um, like if you're I, astral projecting all the time and I've like never, looping between well, like... Well, I don't astral project You know, like Peter Pan trying to pin his shadow on. But yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I never really worry like about what came it up though, for me. because you know what? That's associated with trauma, mm. with dissociation. Uh, astral so, projection is? Not astral projection, but the, the part that I worry about that you're describing is my spirit not feeling like it's safe to come into mm. my body because of the worry, the fear, the density, and the dissociation that my personality is experiencing right. doesn't create a sturdy foundation for my spirit to come But into. that's exactly the work you're doing right now. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Is so that I can be more embodied and feel more grounded mm -hmm. because, yeah, I have it. So you had like this default world line where you um, grow up in Hawaii, go do the modeling thing, come back. 
I went and did the modeling thing. I kind of just like, yeah, just was drinking a lot, smoking a lot of weed, a lot of cigarettes. Um, then I started doing mushrooms, and once I started doing mushrooms, that was your very first was just substance. Like, like the whole world opened up. That was like and your first substance beyond smoke, uh, nicotine and alcohol. Yeah, was mushrooms. Yeah, not even marijuana. Well, no marijuana. Weed. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I smoked weed. I think I started smoking weed at like fourteen. Okay, something. gotcha. So, was your first psychedelic experience like a breakthrough I moment? I honestly can't even remember my first oh. psychedelic experience because. Once I started, I was pretty much just doing it all the time. You went in. Thing. It wasn't well, like, it was like a weekend thing. Right, right, right. It right. was like on the weekend, the first, we would yeah. go camping where there's no service, mm -hmm. no, no one, like the highest peak of the mountain, the most beautiful fucking place in the world. Yeah. And we're all tripping balls like little five-year-olds, <laughs> laughing hysterically, playing deep house, having an entire field to ourselves, and just losing our brains because the mango tree looks like King Kong. Yes, 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 just laughing. We're just yeah. laughing so hard, like, <laughs> laughing, crying, I love you, you're the best, you know. I love that. It's just a total renewal of, of, you know, just shattering the illusion of separateness because when you do psychedelics, you come into this playful state and then we can access each other again. Right. Whereas like before, there's this weird separateness to us where we're like, I don't know. He might be an asshole, or she might fucking hate me. Right. I just don't know. There's all these illusions that we're programmed to worry about because of like TV and stuff. But when you go into nature and you have an experience with psychedelics with your friends, you all realize that you're just a bunch of shitheads, like yes. just doing fuck all together. It's not. I, that's definitely been my experience with psychedelics too. Is it's not like I I ascend to a place where I find like-minded ascended people. It's more like no. I, I like chill out yeah, enough to, to the enjoy level where the I'm people like, oh that are here. Yeah. We're all <laughs> schmucks, so why are we not having a good time together? Right. Yeah. Okay, so that led into so you have that default default world progression yeah, so and I, then also the like non-default world, which is like the snowfall fall snowflakes falling in three thirty three and astral predictions of Russia and <laughs> and then yeah. it all converged with psychedelics. Yeah, and then so I moved home for a little while and I like I started doing, like, I started using Instagram to make money. So then I would work, like, one-on-one -on -one with companies, and they would pay me, and I would shoot, like, ten photos for them. Yeah. They would pay me however much, and then that's how I made, modeling. that's how I made money. And yeah. then I would do whatever the fuck I want and wear their stuff yeah. while I was doing it. Nice. And then that's how I, um, Sounds fun. supplied my life. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, how do you have this life? And I'm like, I live with my grandparents. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I live with my grandparents. I make enough money to do what I want. And it's quite simple, really. Right. <laughs> That's good for people to hear. That and I didn't, right. I didn't have to go on, like, it was a privilege. I was born in a beautiful place. And I lived with my grandparents who, you know, it's like, I think a lot of us live with our parents for a while. Yeah, for sure. Nowadays, because everything's so expensive. It's hard, so it's people harder. from the outside yeah. are like, God, how is she doing this? And blah, blah, blah. Well, like, we used to have that relaxed. kind of community, you know, when we were, um, when the, we, the we. when humanity was more tribal. 
when yeah. a higher percentage of humanity was tribal. You would have multiple people raising kids. Yeah. And you would have multiple places you could live, you know? No, yeah. yeah. This, this, this concept of homelessness, I feel as though the concept of involuntary houselessness would be a, an affront mm. to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you leave your neighbors on the street. Yeah. You leave, you leave your people on the street. Like, you have, like, Butte is only 30% occupancy in the historic district. There are a ton of um, old buildings that have nobody living in them. And we have homeless people. It's It's, so silly. It's egregious. Mm. I feel as though that the concept that it's just okay that some people live and die on the streets would just not even compute for our, our old, the times past versions of human society where we lived and worked together and took care of our crazy people and took care of our single mothers and took well, care of our widows. crazy people also weren't crazy people. They also weren't the crazy people. <laughs> like if we were back then or even just over there mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a great TED talk on this. It's called psychosis or spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the guy basically yeah. goes into the fact that people who are labeled schizophrenic I can't say every single person, Mm -hmm. but a good amount of them, if they were in a tribe and they were showing these same qualities, these same symptoms, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. um, these characteristics, they would be sent to a priest. And the priest would then take them in and train them as a shaman. (laughs) Because they're, they're born enlightened with a higher vision than others may have right. right off the bat. Yes. And this could be because of past life trainings and their ability to access knowledge now. And then karmically, they have to break through the challenge of the family that they're born into and then out right. into right. the luminosity of being who they are in this now. Mm. But then it also challenges us as a society. What are we going to do to them? And then we have to go through the timeline of, you know, a lot of people punishing these kinds of people for exhibiting qualities that we just simply don't understand. They're disturbing the class. We need to put them yeah. on some drugs because they're upsetting the curve, they're messing and with the... And then meanwhile, the FBI and the government just takes people like them, starts testing them uh, in the background, yes. and weaponizing them as soldiers uh, using uh, LSD. It's right. like, oh, this exists, but we got to keep it We're for We're going to use it for a bad way. Greed right. is not just about money, it's about mm. power mm-hmm. in general. And people with these abilities... They started, you know, doing these experiments in China long ago because a lot of kids in China and everywhere, but this, these specific experiences, experiments in China, they had three to five year olds and what they would do are things like on the table, they would put marbles and then they would put an upside down cup and the child would look at it and marble would be inside the cup. Mm. Or they would open a book to a random page and they would rip out the page and bring the child into the room, crumple it up, put it under their armpit, recite it word for word, front to back. Knowing, yeah. knowing what was on the image. Yeah, yeah, because they could see with any part of their body, not just their eyes. Mm. Kids who hadn't been told that we we're only able to perceive certain ways yet, and so they hadn't shut down those Yeah, abilities. maybe they had, um, I don't know, a certain type of home environment that made them feel safe enough to... Mm. explore their natural blueprint and right. they were imprinted in that short amount of time mm. to make them suppress no those are sensitive sense like sensitive sensibilities 
that get shut down by people who don't understand them. And especially I think in more organized, cult, more organized religious cultures that can fly in the face of the narrative. And I know for myself growing up, like anything that was outside the norm was definitely, you were giving some kind of reinforcement to make sure you don't explore it again. I have synesthesia, so I have like, but nobody had a name for it. Nobody knew what, what it is was. That? I'm sorry. Synesthesia is like. Um, oh, can I describe this one? Yeah, you describe this one. So I read this book um, in high school called A Mango Shaped Space. And she wasn't talking about the shape of a mango fruit. She was talking about the color, mango color. But And the mango was the name of her cat. And she could see pheromones. And she didn't realize for a long time in her life that she was experiencing something everybody else was exper wasn't experiencing. Right. Because as a kid, yeah. she knew where her cat mango had been because there would be a mango-shaped space on the couch with an aura. She was basically seeing the auras of the cat. And so mm -hmm. it was very interesting. The book, you know, it was a fictional account of her knowing that she has this thing, dealing with this thing, and then hitting puberty and falling for a boy and dealing with, like, that pheromone thing, you know, all from... So synesthesia at its basis... In, is you mix up, you, you, you do two senses at once. You're processing the world through multiple modalities instead of one. So yeah. the letter, so like when I think of my sister Coco, I've always thought of purple. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's just right. very mild. And a lot of people do that without even knowing that it's a thing. Yeah. Um, or kids who hate certain numbers because they smell bad. Yeah. The numbers. The numbers are bad. bad. Yeah. They, they yeah. say there's like there's a bunch of different kinds. That's why people don't really quantify it because it's hard to quantify because it it's sort of different yeah. with every person. One person might see when they read the page, all the E's are blue, all the C's are red, all the D's are yellow always. Well, and the other people have like when they hear sounds, they see shapes. Yeah. Or there's another book called The Man Who Mistook His Hat for His Wife or His Wife <laughs> for His Hat. There's like these things that happen where, and for myself, there's what they call like a metaphorical yeah. synesthesia where you have the consensus story that yeah. is a house and this person has a job. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's a metaphorical where this, that person then becomes an archetype that is performing some cosmic function when they come to deliver you the pizza. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to look into because I, I, uh, people experience it on psychedelics yeah. who don't have it as a, as a native experience. Yeah, you're actually reminding me that the first time that I did DMT was not, in fact, Grandmother Ayahuasca. It was actually DMT. Changa. What's Changa? Changa. Yeah. Chaga. That's a type of DMT that's mixed with other herbs. I did it with like my two girlfriends and a shaman. And I basically blast off like into outer space and I saw Krishna in a golden sari dripping in golden diamonds, mm. dancing across the universe for infinity. Then all of a sudden I remembered that I had a body. Mm. And I was like, well, where is Mahina? Where is and then, right. oh, no. And then I opened, my body opened her eyes and I saw from the perspective of my spirit falling all the way back down through the dimensions. And then I sat up in my body wow. and I was like, whoa. And I was inside a toroidal field of sacred geometry. What's like, toroidal? A toroidal field basically is like the inside of a donut. It's so a donut. Like, in a there's, a, there's an axis, there's an axis <laughs> and it's a positive and negative charge of energy that's going like this. Right, okay. And so I've seen that when you're before. on DMT, sometimes what happens is that everything gets rounded and then you start to see the fabric of existence that connects everything because yeah. we're not to fight 
floating around. A like single all by myself, not touching the yeah. fabric is sacred geometry. Mm. My friend and Jason so, used to call it code. You can see the code exactly. of the universe. So yeah. I saw that, and basically, um, I saw at least, I think, like 13 beings in the room. And the room was rainbow. It was like this, like yeah. a rainbow. And there were, for every color, there was an archetypal embodiment of that color who also had a sound. Ooh, and so yeah. they were all around us, so beautiful, wearing these like crowns and these really long, elaborate silks, and they didn't have feet. Their feet looked like smoke. They were just like, mm. <laughs> Wish and they were all around that. us. <laughs> they were all around us, and they were just hugging and kissing us, and I was just crying. So mm. I was like, whoa, they're always like watching out for us. It was like experiencing mm. angels. And I just remembered that as they moved, they harmonized and created a song. And it was like a symphony. Have you ever heard when they slow crickets down by like 300 Yes, yes. sounded exactly like that. So in your early experiences of that, like what what do you think you're, I, the first time I did DMT, I think the, the, the best oh, way I can break was, down. Sorry, yeah, that was yeah. my thing of synesthesia. That was synesthesia. Right, that has to do with Because I think that we're all in this organism. Yeah. And like, Everything is so connected that we evolve and we move and we're all this organism that is everythingness. Mm -hmm. But because we have a neocortex, we identify with only this one thing. Whereas it's oh, just this, right. and then our human bodies have the capability of having an ego so that our body can take care of itself. You right. talked about that uh, way of thinking of this metaphor as like we're all hairs on the back of the same dog. But we think, yeah, but we think that all, we're only you know, one you hair. You have a glove, yeah. right? You put a, you have a glove. This is how one elder described it to me. And you blow up the glove, mm -hmm. and all these fingers think they're human. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But it's a fucking hand. They're attached to a body that contains right. snails, zygotes, yeah. this, or like polyps so on a sea and then something. If you looked at it from that point, what if the people are just pulling talents and abilities from other organisms within the space of isness. Do you know what I mean? What is isness? Isness? No, but the, no wait, wait, she's no. gonna answer because nobody ever answers that. What is She was so ready though. Yeah, I'm ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. The isness is the everythingness. Mm. So it's like everything that you can conceive of as being a reality, everything that you see, a documentary of what's going on in the deep sea. It's like all of that is happening right now and mm -hmm. it's called the isness and we as humans get so caught up in our own individual experiences that we're on this like timeline of like linear thinking right and, like my life like masculine energy is straight lines mm -hmm. feminine energy is curved and with both you get creation but like right. one without the other is just like a puddle with no ground. It's a floating, it's like. Right. Line. A I like that. A puddle with no ground. As the it's idea like, that we're disconnected is, is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it's just so funny. It's like, like you know, the universe is ones and zeros. It's constantly fucking itself. It's just, <laughs> how can you. That's like the R rated version of the universe is God playing hide and seek with himself. Yes, right. exactly. Because that's what's happening. It's right. like. I constantly have, and I think it's funny that it's called amniotic fluid, because we're born, we yeah. have this amnesia, we pass through uh, this river uh, of death. Oh my god! Like this, this 
river of forgetfulness, right? We're right. just like in there and we're like, I forget everything. It's like the reverse river <laughs> But meanwhile, six. we're also being programmed. Like in Richard's Rod Gene Keys, he talks about how in the first, in the three trimesters that you're in your mother's womb, the first is physical. The physical seven years of your development is the first trimester. Mm. The second seven years is the second trimester of emotions. And then the third That's is sure. until 21, mental. Okay. So those are like the key times mm. of development. Not to say that it's yeah. like so... That would be so beautiful. Generally it's speaking, the programming, yeah. though. Like would be so beautiful. That's like, why parents were empowered with that, so that they were able to like be kind to their children while they're pre-teening and teening it up. Because they're well, literally just full-on emotional fuckery at that point for like yeah. eight years. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so fascinating that at 21, at this 777, this third boom, 21. Yeah. Go drink. Right. Go drink. Yeah. Go right. get fucked up. Go destroy your body. The number of completion. So funny. It's like we graduate past this programming of our mother's womb and become ourselves cellularly. On a cellular level, our cells are fucking renewed and we're brand new Mm -hmm. and we get to start writing the script of our lives. And that's when they get you hooked on addiction. That's... It's so fascinating. There was a... When I was in Los Angeles, I was going through a custody battle for my daughter. And because I'm a card-carrying Choctaw, I have enough Choctaw blood to have a card. I was able to get a Native American counselor instead of somebody from the Borg. And, um, and by the Borg, you mean just like the machine reality of the of the court systems, you know. Yeah. And this guy was able. We were able to just go to the park and drop in, right? We were actually having a real conversation, and I was like 23 or something like that, right? So he goes like, he, he was Navajo, and he goes like in Navajo culture, and he, he's cobbling together like Navajo and then and then Jewish culture and a few other cultures. But he's like in Navajo, like you just gotta survive your till you get through your teens, like just stay alive. That's really your job is just to live and stay alive. And then your twenties is where you fuck up and fuck around and fuck off. Yeah. That's how you figure out where the limits are, and you make yeah. and you make tons of mistakes. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do. And so instead of me like I haven't done anything right yet, he's like you're doing everything as you should because you're learning what's where you, who you are in the whole scheme yeah. of things. And then 30s is where you take those lessons, and then you manifest your life from those lessons. Yeah. And then if you turn 40, and this goes into the 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 Jewish zeitgeist. If you've turned 40 and you've done that work and you haven't lost your mind, you haven't got caught up in the system where you're still thinking, then you're an adult. Mm-hmm. But you don't turn an adult until you're 40. Yeah. Which we're all like supposed to be responsible adults at 23 and get our own oh, partner and have our job and do all that. I mean, so in our culture, you know. children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crazy. It's bizarre. So I think expanding that idea of development rather than... Yeah. The sort of prescribed idea of development that we get is for me was really liberating because suddenly i was like it just took all the pressure off of having to have done everything right and among mistakes we're learning mistakes we all feel that you know it's just like especially when you can hear the voice of like your desires too Mm. and you're like i know what i'm capable of and i know what i want to do but i can't describe it and i don't know fully what it is yet Mm. but i know i'm meant for something Mm. i just don't know what and you feel like you found it sorry go ahead and it's because we don't have the experience fully to understand what that is yet it's exactly what you just described and that's how i felt my whole life is like 
I know I'm meant to do something, I just don't fucking know exactly what it is, and I'm just doing the next thing I feel like I should be doing. Following the clues. And I can intuitively feel that I'm getting closer and closer to it, but I still don't totally know what it is, and right. I think that when I do find out, I'm just going to laugh and be like, oh, it's just right. what I've been doing. But my perspective of what I'm doing changes, right. and I respect you, I respect you, I love you, I, it's like more of a, a closeness that we all feel. Right. I think that's what we're moving towards, is this like understanding and this humor and this right. paradox of like, what are we all doing mm -hmm. type of thing? Right. And what are we trying so hard for? Like. Yeah, I want to go back to your DMT experience. Yeah. Because I wanted to ask you about that experience because I've done DMT and when I interview people who had done it before, How's that sound working out for you guys? Yeah, Are you able to hear us over it's that guy? It's a part of the Cosmic Concert. <laughs> <laughs> we went through several different ideas of how to set this up for you all today, but we happen to live in paradise, and paradise gets overgrown. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that I talk to who were doing DMT, the, the common thing that people, that people walked away with was that they had this aha moment where they're like, why did I ever stress about anything ever? Literally. Lowe's wondering, beautiful convo, are there questions prepared for Mahina? We <laughs> usually just wing it with interesting people. Um, I did count, I usually, when, as I get to know somebody in advance of a show, um, I'll pick a hook or something that I think would be an interesting pathway into conversation. But I don't usually be like, and then where did you grow up? And then where did you go to high school? And then what was your favorite job? And, and then, my work, like where I'm at in my life right now, is so, so beyond that. Linear, yes. That literally any topic can go all the way over yes. here and then circle back. This is what we, we call do this, on the show we call all this, the time. Uh, like the zoom out, zoom in. Yeah. So like we'll start here and then, and then like, way meta. we'll go on a tangent over here. And then yeah, because if the flow is working, you DMT, come back. We never stop tripping. Yes. <laughs> That's right. No, it's, I do. I feel like I see the world in it fractals all up. the time. Yeah. Yes. Whoa. And so I, I, things that we've learned over three seasons or four seasons of interviewing people is that we do want to make sure that we we don't just jump into why you're interesting at the beginning but we take time to actually like get to know people what's your background what do you like to share about your childhood and how you got to where you are because oftentimes we would just jump into whatever topic we were all hot to talk about and then people be like who is this person again <laughs> yeah so that's something that we have added and so i appreciate you giving us a picture of um, what what you care to share about your childhood and your life before this moment now with the 15 month old kid and an Instagram account and getting ready to start a podcast. Yeah. So. And you guys can ask any questions that you want. As yeah. That's why we had the chatbot. I loved. It was great having. I had some of your fans on Instagram messaging me and being like, "When is the show? What are you gonna do? Can I watch it afterwards?" And that's so. That's great. You can absolutely share this with people after the fact. It's going to be um, saved on Facebook and YouTube for later, and, and then yeah. we'll, we'll eventually make uh, the podcast audio when I get back to my studio. So, yeah. but but right now you're the lucky ones. You can be in on the conversation. And you can if you ask have the any questions. questions. Yeah. Yeah. If you have any, because we're just like I'm loving this psychedelic mode that we're in right now. Yeah. yeah. So back to what I was saying Karen. about five meo though. 
Um, it's interesting because more than often, what my experience is with Bufo specifically is that I have so much pent up anger that I'm dealing with because mm. anger is my main trauma response that I'm working with consistently right. because I had one of my parents was very overpowering verbally mm -hmm. and then the other one gave me a lot of responsibility so I constantly feel like fucking listen to me mm. like fucking listen to me so and then that makes me get 10 steps ahead of everyone in my life and then resenting them for not being me mm -hmm. right it's like super stupid so that's what I'm working with. And so when I go into any of the medicine, I'm like, I need to get rid of this anger. I need to figure out like how, so I'm always kind of afraid. My ego is like, oh my God, I'm being such a fucking cunt this week, you know, like, mm. I'm gonna get And then, you're, you're judging yourself about it, judging yeah. yourself about it. So then I go in and the medicine's just like, you are pure love and bliss and we love you. And it's like the fine. most blissful experience of my life. Hi okay. guys. Hold please. One thing I want to talk, I'll talk, I'll talk loud because I have a big fat voice. Um, I love talking about psychedelics and the experiences and the lessons. I think for people who've never done those things, there's a bridge that can't be crossed. Until you've had an experience, there's certain things that can't be conveyed about that. And it starts to just go into gobbledygook. You're like, maybe you were just crazy. And I think there may be an impression that people say, oh, you just do psychedelics and you see all this stuff. But from my perspective, it's not just the event, but it's the person who came to the event and the work they had done and the work that gets done after the lesson. Because you're not just doing psychedelics and then waiting and then doing it no. again. There's tons of work in between that right. I think is really important. And your whole mind gets changed. The medicine you stays with you. Experience, mm -hmm. You experience a deeper sense of connection to other human beings and then a greater sense of forgiveness comes over you and you the time between your where you previously would have reacted that distance gets right. larger you're able to actually take a deep breath calm yourself and then decide to respond mm. so like for me since the last time i sat with the medicine a couple triggering things have come up for me, and I go on a walk now, mm. which I never did before. Wow. I go on a walk now, and I have the conversation with the person, and I'm like, fuck you, I'm fucking pissed at you. What I'm feeling is anger. Mm. What I'm feeling is sadness. Like, yeah. And I'm not blaming though anymore. I'm just saying, Working what, you're with your making, anger. what I'm feeling in response to what you're showing me is this. And right. then it's my job to work with it because they're their own thing and that's I'm not gonna change that. Right. This emotion that I'm experiencing is mine and what I do with that is what affects my life moving forward. You're talking not about trying to change this. You're talking about radical responsibility. Yeah. At this point. Like you're talking about because what we're what we're entrained to in the West, I think, is that it's it's always somebody else's fault how you you are making me angry you are mm. making me sad you broke my heart mm. you know like and and getting to the point where we can be independent enough of other people's effect mm. on our lives where absolutely you have accountability for harm you have accountability for abuse but you but inside that realm where there isn't like harm or abuse you have you have 
radical self-knowledge, radical responsibility for where your triggers are and radical and responsibility for your emotions. Medicine mm-hmm. Because when you experience psychedelics, you're basically your capacity for compassion goes like this. Yes. Because your ability to be in the moment and to relax and enjoy it transforms radically. You're able to feel the moment with so much more joy than you experienced before, that you're no longer in resistance to it. You've accepted that you are it and there's nowhere to go. So you <laughs> might as well just fucking enjoy it. Right. And then from there, you start dealing with people differently yeah. because you start realizing that it's about the journey, not the destination, mm. right? It's like a moment. All that cheesy thing. shit. It's all so true. true. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I'm going to say that thing that people put on the wall over their bed. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And I just don't really care either. (laughs) Have you, so to play devil's advocate, Dark and I go back and forth over whether or not um, his perspective is that the medicine does not give you anything you don't already have. And I think I've experienced some things where I felt as though there really is wellness in these medicines to be accessed and integrated that I did not have in myself. And um, one thing that we've always been, the balance of that that we've always been careful of is like LSD is not going to save your life. It's not just going to come in and bitch slap your psyche into a better psyche. Have you had some experiences where um, it, you didn't, you didn't get what you meant to come get, or or you've heard of someone just for perspective, for contrast, because I think we've all I've heard had experiences some where people, people who have done acid and now they like want this one person I've heard of who some of my friends know their family, mm-hmm. they think they're a banana now from LSD. Right. Like they permanent banana thought they were a banana and then they fucking stayed that way. Yeah. I personally haven't done LSD in years okay. and I don't necessarily vibe with LSD because it's or synthetic. other things. But that's why I like to work with things like mushrooms or ayahuasca because they're a natural energy plant of the mm-hmm. earth with its own consciousness. My most recent experience with grandmother ayahuasca I had a very interesting experience where the first night I didn't really trip at all, Hmm. but I was feeling some pain in my abdomen after giving birth, my womb and everything like that. So much different, right? And so I was having trouble, like just in that space, I was feeling like really hard. My heart chakra was feeling really blocked up. Like armored. And yeah, and so she, I experienced her going in there and I could look at it like, oh, that wasn't me doing this. That mm-hmm. was her intelligence. But she used the intelligence of my body, my organs, mm-hmm. to move energy, mm-hmm. to expand it. My stomach got so big. It was wow. like a three-month pregnant belly in ceremony, uh-huh. moving this energy around. Wow. And I felt her in there like a snake. And it felt like I had a bladder infection and I couldn't stop trying to pee. Right. I and know that feeling. Yeah. As soon as the medicine wore off, it was gone. My stomach was back down, the bladder sensations were gone, and it felt better. Mm-hmm. And I had um, my body worker come and he said that it felt better too, because mm-hmm. I've been working with him doing Reiki and Trying to release and whatever was going on there. It. We, mm-hmm. we had done a lot of work there, but she came in and really like finished that up for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So it's not always going to take you. She gives you exactly what you need. One of my friends, when we did DMT the first time, 
you know, we all took turns, like you said, and she didn't experience anything except for calmness because she had so much anxiety about the moment, about life, about everything. She just felt calm. Then she smoked a little bit more and the same moment was repeating itself over and over again. And she saw how she does that all the time. And she reruns the same experience in her head over and over yeah. again, analyzing it, trying mm-hmm. to make it be different stress, without stress. being in the present moment. Yes. Right. So then the medicine showed her that and boom, broke her out of that. And hmm. then she had a beautiful psychedelic experience. Wow. Like, but she had to do like but two rounds. she had rounds. to get in her body first. Mm-hmm. She had to go three times to even have the experience of going out. She had to get comfortable with her foundation. Hmm. When I was in um, Egypt, I saw this, this psychic man. He, has, he owns this like 15,000 year oilery. His ancestors, his uh. whole lineage have been making these sacred oils in Egypt. His um, third eye is wide open. And so he's able to see like everything. And he basically told me, um, you have a really strong connection to the spirit, but it's time to basically create a foundation for you to come into your body now. Mm. And then I went to Bali and I was still like really working through some trauma stuff there. Like that's a whole fucking podcast right there. Just the whole in itself phase of Bali. But then I met a healer there and he's like a world renowned, like, I think he's from Australia or something and he's like really legit like mind body soul trainer healer Mm. and he just looked at me and he was like you need to ask yourself what traumatized you so much that you left your body and you're still not coming back into it yet Mm. and that question sent me on like a journey up until now like three years of just like yeah what was it how is it affecting me in my actions and responses? Because that's shaping my life. It's like, yeah. And all we can really do is be thrown around the planet until we understand where we orient ourselves. Mm-hmm. But these experiences are definitely, I feel like catalytic experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people talk about having visions and having those moments, but I've seen people who I would say abuse that medicine yeah. Where, like, I've done ayahuasca a hundred times. I'm like, obviously not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> because you shouldn't have to do it a hundred times. No, and you should be, like, honoring her as such that you don't, like... Keep knocking on the door? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, for, I, I, the way that I see it is, like, a rite of passage. Mm. It's like, when I'm ready for a rite of passage, my intention gets really clear. I'm very uncomfortable in my life. And I'm very aware of what I need to change. And I'm, I've done the journaling. I've done the everything to become aware of what I need to change. And then when I go into the ceremony, I'm releasing any walls that block myself off from doing it. I think this is what a lot of people leave out of the psychedelic discussions that I've watched and become. Often these discussions are for people who are steeped in it, who've done it over and over and over. Or it's almost like a voyeuristic thing of like, whoa, we went to space and you didn't. And I think uh, I like having more discussions around the, 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 the trips are kind of like punctuations of long paragraphs and sentences before and afterwards. And um, it's almost like those moments can give you the assignment, but then you, there's a lot of homework to be done to, to unpack that information. 
for myself, some of the hardest trips that I've had have been my most educational. The ones where I felt like if I didn't do it again soon afterwards, I would probably never do it again because it was so terrifying or scary. Yeah. And have you ever had those experiences just to sort of balance out the thing? Because some people don't. Some people never really have the big challenge of like of of like having the deep fear come up. Some people just go into love and they always are going into some sort of loving thing. Have you ever had like a big scary challenge? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every time that I've done it, there's fear, there's mm -hmm. challenge, but it's like as as much fear and as much discomfort, there's equal joy it, it, you and get the other side. bliss. Mm. Yeah, so like the first time, um, it's that's why I like to do it in threes. Right. Because the first night is very light. She's kind of like, this is what we're gonna be working with. This is how mm. I'm gonna do it. Like, And then the second night is like, boom. <laughs> and then the third night's like, integration. Mm. Like, this is who you are and this is what you have to do now. It's mm. like, so the second night of my first time, what I experienced was I was meditating like this with my eyes oh, like geez, this ouch. and I boom, opened my third eye and this portal opened in front of me and all of a sudden I could see the matrix, but it was all hieroglyphs Ooh. and I could read hieroglyphs right. and hieroglyphs cool. made up the entire reality and then thousands of people were lined up in front of me like terracotta soldiers and it was the yes. first time I ever saw spirits ah. and I felt fear and I was oh. like whoa and then a voice came and said they're all you um. and I was like oh so then my consciousness boom left my body and I went zoo, 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 zoo. like I'll never forget the visual of it I went through all of them so fast like an owl. And the first night an owl landed on my shoulders, I was born as a baby owl and I learned to fly. So it was almost like that prepared my consciousness to come an out uh, and be able to fly. Uh, because in Norse mythology, they say, and in Hawaiian, it's called your Almakua. It's a spirit mm. guide. In Norse mythology, it's called your Filgia. And basically the idea is that before you're born, you have this animal who's standing, watching you decide to become a human and what your purpose is, what your blueprint is, and watches as you're born, and then once you reach places in your journey, which is, we'll call this your familiar, you right. go through your initiations, your familiar, Philgia, uh, Almakua comes back, and you start remembering what the fuck you're doing. Because they're bringing the memory to you, because you've done the work necessary to right. be able to understand, okay, this is my divine purpose in this life. Then you rise from the victim, to the hero of your journey. And that's when it begins. So I flew through the consciousness and I started assimilating like all that business. And I slowed down at two different lifetimes. One as a man alchemist in like the time of the Renaissance. And then another as a high priestess in ancient Egypt or Atlantis or whatever you would want to call it. Oh. And I was spinning an onk from finger to finger, walking through What's onk? It's um, like the cross with a loop at the top. It looks like this. Oh, I but see. The line is more defined. So I was spinning that from finger to finger. It represents the balance of the masculine and the feminine. Oh, gotcha. So it sort of looks like those two signs combined with each other mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, totally. So I remember the layout perfectly. It was a white temple, huge tall ceilings, pillars, a blue bed to the right of the room 
a little shelf with a vase on it, like, and there was a small hill right outside, and the Nile was flowing between mm. the temple and the hill. Mm. And the feet was my the floor was cold beneath my feet. It was very so visceral, surreal, or visceral, yeah. Present. And so after that, then um, I kind of was in my body, and I was experiencing like an ego death. And basically, my higher self, I was in the perspective of my higher self, I was looking down at this body, and I was pulling black sludge out of my body, just cleaning it, like mm. gross, 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 pulling this out, and um, meanwhile, my physical body's experiencing being born as a butterfly from being a caterpillar, like that was what my experience was, it felt like I was breaking out of a cocoon, mm. and I could finally breathe, but I was one with the air, so there was no inhalation and exhalation because everything is one. So then I felt like I couldn't breathe because I was breath. And wow. it was this weird, like, yes, so I, but no, but yes. I was just like, <gasps> you know, and I couldn't get a breath because I just was everything. So mm -hmm. that was super intense. And that's what an ego death really is. Mm -hmm. Like you realize your ego is just a tool for your spirit to ground itself into your physical body as a temple. So this is the hard thing that that's I think a lot of people get up against their ego and they have to leave well, it aside. Well, your ego is the to, one who feels the fear because your ego's right. bubble is about to get popped. Right. Mm. Yeah. And then so the more that you do this work, though, the more that your higher self enters and dwells within the temple space, and your ego takes a back seat and makes you lunch. Yeah, it's yeah. Like your ego right. is like the butler of your reality. Your ego of, right. serves your spirit. Right. It's yeah. like your ego is not the one being served. Your ego is the servant. It's sort of like a Dunning-Kruger effect, but internal. Like where the, peop the, the part that thinks it knows everything is actually the thing that knows the least. And the thing that knows everything is, is less inclined to go and take charge. So you have to have that, that, that conversation internally. I think that's been an experience with a lot of people is that ego death part. First time I did DMT, I spent 30 days like quit smoking cigarettes, stop drinking alcohol, yeah, like me. cleaned out everything. my whole stuff. So I think when I went, I was really ready and I had the same vision of a wall of petroglyphs that didn't look Egyptian or they, they were like nothing I had ever seen before, but I knew exactly what it all meant. Yep. A very similar experience. Um, Lower Shell is would like to hear more about Mahina's most remembered and profound past life experiences. Mm. Hmm. I would have to say they're very interesting. Like they're kind of random. My, I have a really strong memory of of my like Egyptian one. Then I have one as an old crone. Mm. Then I have one as a girl who lived in a forest with like seven, one of seven brothers and sisters, maybe more or less. But that was a really weird one too. And they all come to me in dreams. And then you will be sleeping at night in this life and you will have a, a dream where you're in that life? So past life experiences don't really come to me all at once. What happens is that I'll be shown visions. I'll honor those visions by recording them, journaling them, giving them attention, my awareness. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, I create a space where I'm basically researching myself. Okay. And more so more, I create yeah. magnetism 
for the memory to have a place to land, I basically cultivate a relationship with my expanded self. So I've done that mainly with my Egyptian lives because I felt like that was, those were the key trainings I prepared for this lifetime with. Hmm. So I feel that the past life experiences that we're most closely connected to are the ones that have the most use now in this life. Okay. All right. And so I guess those past life, my number one past life experience started coming to me after the ayahuasca because I met that high priestess version of myself. And then I really started stepping into that consciousness and into that awareness. And because of that, I started having really profound dreams of everything I learned as a high priestess, all of that information coming back. Certain people brought um, books into my life, and these books were like written by Hermes Trismegistus. Right. Who's that? Pythagoras. And I would sit down and read them in one sitting and understand everything that they said. In your dream? Perf no, in real life. Yeah, oh. that's the beginning of sort of mysticism is Hermes, you know, like Western, oh. what's considered Western mysticism. Yeah, so that's kind of, yeah, past lives are an interesting thing, but one story that might be easier to share that kind of is really fascinating is when I was 15, I kind of started on Tumblr. Like people mm. would ask me questions because they saw me taking all these pictures in Hawaii and everyone creates this fantasy about mm. living in a beautiful place, but they don't really know that there's still like hardship and right. all these things behind my environment will behind make my life just better. beautiful photos. Like, yeah. right. So because of that, I was aware of that even as a teenager that I didn't want people to think that my life was as beautiful as it looked all the time, mm. but I also didn't want to seem ungrateful. So that's right. why I had this balance of like taking these beautiful photos, but then on Tumblr talking about the real shit. Oh, nice. So people would come to me and ask me about my childhood and this and that, and we would have this conversation there. And because of that, there was an openness between me and the people there where we were all just like chilling out and talking like this. And so this girl messaged me one day and she said that she had had a past life regression and had felt really connected with everything that I was sharing. And then it came through in the past life regression that I was her great grandmother in a coven of witches. And so I was like, whoa, that's trippy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> past life regression. Mm. What's hypnosis? Didn't oh, know. so is that where you started finding? So, it was through those uh, conversations. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so then it started opening up and I was like, oh, interesting. So I started buying books. And wait, how old was this? 15. Okay, so like... This was right around I had the out-of-body experience, like... And then you just started following it... And, and switching from emotions to mind. Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, from there... Then, I think I was 18, and my auntie... My auntie Mahina, who I'm named after, is like just like me but even more because her father was a shaman so he like yeah so she helps me a lot she's mm. always given me books this that and she had a friend who was a past life regressionist so we went down to the beach and i had my first past life regression and boom she was like you were a great grandmother in a coven of witches and they all died because of what you taught them so you have to now. Whoops. So you Sorry. 
I basically had died. And after I died, um, they all were burned at the stake because I was no longer there to protect them. And the knowledge that they had gotten from what I taught them um, was a threat to the oh church, to everyone. So they were all killed. So then I had to, I saw them all. All of them came to me and I knew them by name and I saw, I put wings on their back and I set them free with forgiveness into the sunset at this beach that we were at. It was very powerful. So then, um, fast forward, I do the ayahuasca and this is the second ceremony that I ever did and it was a three-nighter as well. And boom, right back to Egypt, Anubis came and got me. I went through these huge hieroglyphic crystal gates and my soul was weighed against the feather by Tehote and Ma'at. Yep. Then I passed through, saw the Sphinx, he welcomed me home telepathically and I started downloading all of my memories from other areas wow. of that priestess lifetime. Then I settled into my body and I felt her in my body moving me like a cat, like water. And I was dancing, like doing these Egyptian dances, settling into my flesh. And then all of a sudden, I was just relaxing, like literally like a cat, stretching, doing all the things. (laughs) (laughs) Then I look into the corner of the room and I fucking see the crone. She's sitting there. She's looking over at me and- The um, the great-grandmother, you, the great-grandmother from the witch coven. So she's there in this black room with this staff, and my whole family's behind her. And I'm like, whoa. Your present-day so Hawaii she, family. No. Or no, the witch family. Okay. Yes. But everyone, not just the women. In the past life regression, it was the women. Because mm-hmm. only the women were killed. Right, mm-hmm. right. So in this, I saw the boys, the men, too. Mm-hmm. The whole family was there. She walked over. She turned, sat down on top of me. And I started going like this. Pulling, all integrating and healing what Uh had been broken through that. I could see a nose on top of mine, and when my hand slowed down in front of my face, I saw her old hand, but then I saw mine more real, and I literally said, I'm young again. I said, I'm young again. And that power that came from that, I was like, oh my fucking God. Like, to feel so crippled and using a cane and then boom in a fucking 22 year old body yes. i was like how sweet is that holy fucking shit yeah <laughs> it was like being in a fucking ferrari for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm like okay we could work with this so that was wild and the craziest thing about that though is that i met one of my best friends in this specific ceremony she was there for the last two nights and she messaged me on Instagram, and I have screenshots to prove this. She messaged me on Instagram the day after the ceremony ended, and she said, hey, I just wanted to share a vision that I had of last night's ceremony. And I was called to sit up and look towards you at one point, and a silver staircase appeared in front of you, a grandmother crone stepped down it with a cane, and Isis, like the an Egyptian goddess appeared mm. through a portal in her crown chakra. Her wings stretched over the whole island, which I had been flying as an owl again. Yes. Right. And side note, I was flying as an owl for what felt like centuries. The wings folded up into my chest. I saw the feathers retract. It was like 8.30 the first night. Next day, my grandma asked me what I was doing at that time. Tell her I was an owl. She said, yeah, 
one came out of nowhere and almost hit me. Um, so it was like interesting. So then, she, yeah, my friend's vision, the wings stretch across the whole island and she reaches out with a blue finger and touches my third eye and sends a silver wave through my whole body. This was what your friend saw oh, happening. Yeah. Wow. Which was what happened to me. Yes. It was just like a parallel version of myself. Mm -hmm. I believe that spiritually there are these archetypes. Some people like to call them gods and goddesses. The Egyptians call them the Netiru, forces of nature embodied as archetypes. I believe that there are these archetypes and each of us I, are home in one specific god or goddess head. Mm -hmm. So you and I might be in the cells of the body of Isis together. Yeah. Me and some of my friends were right. in the cells of, of the body of Isis together. Some of my other friends, they're in the cells of the body of Hathor together. And maybe even, we're not even just in the cell of one at all. Maybe they're all these archetypes and we, through choice, get to explore the cells of all these bodies of these archetypes and can either dwell in the lower chakras of these bodies of consciousness or rise into the crown and get the knowledge from this space. But I think that's what gift psychedelics give us is we lose the attachment to one identity mm -hmm. and then we're able to travel across space and time throughout all that exists because there is no, it's all the isness. Mm -hmm. It's all the isness. It's all happening right here. And that's what you get access to. When you get out of your concept of self, you can honor yourself and your body and have fun with it, dress it up, adorn it, play with it, have fucking fun. But at the end of the day, it's about learning and expanding and sharing and creating and having fun. Mm. Fun is like the number one thing. That we're supposed we should to be, be able to have it. Yeah. Um, Isabella Cash says, I'm so happy you are finally going th through this, Mahina. I've been following for a long while now, reading your transmissions. Taking in the code you share has been a beautiful blessing in my life. You are an incredible storyteller. Thank you. Thank you. Deb Lynch uh, it says, Deb Lynch says, these types of experiences are endangered as the butler disallows their admittance into the narrative. Yeah. The butler. Yeah. The yeah. butler yeah. is such a nice word for it. Yeah. You guys mentioned I call it the, the butler. I call it the mall cop. But you but had yeah. mentioned it being a butler cup. earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> your ego sits down and makes you a sandwich rather than being in charge anymore. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're trying, we're, 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 we're working on getting the ego to, to take on that role where whatever the me is, is in charge rather than the ego being in charge. Yeah. And it's really, you know, that's what they say about the fact that we're just the observer and the witnesser. That's what we're doing right now. We're mm -hmm. having a conversation about what we're noticing. Mm -hmm. So we're in our consciousness right now. But then as soon as we start talking, the ego starts talking to us mm -hmm. and then it's like, you don't have a choice. I'm, I'm in control. This day sucks. Do you believe me? Yeah. Then it does now. Yeah. You know what's <laughs> right. Got you. Um, Low Rochelle is wonder. No, no, sorry. But really quick, I would like to say something about psychedelics that's very, very, very important. Um, 
we should never just jump right into them. If it doesn't feel right for you, it probably isn't. Is that, mm. And if you're afraid to go there, then research it and start looking into spiritual stuff, like, I don't know, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, start understanding the science and the spirituality, the nature of our reality, mm. before diving into trying to have this experience, because one of the biggest things about having these experiences is your ability to integrate them into something that can be helpful for your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people who don't really feel like they have the support to get that and to integrate properly. Mm -hmm. And that can do more harm than good because right. you might just end up floating around thinking, which for me in the beginning of my journey, when I had all those memories and this and that, that was a lot to integrate. Like here I am now more comfortable with the idea of it, but it took me years mm -hmm. to feel comfortable with everything that I had seen and then to realize how it could help and benefit my reality now. Mm -hmm. Like it was a huge like, wait, what? Like I'm God? <laughs> my ego still came back. And right, it was like, right. oh my God, then da 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 da. And then it was like, you know, it sends you. It's on battling screen. your concept of God is the problem. Yeah. Like we're fed an idea of what God exactly. is, and then it's like that idea keeps us from ever actually having communion or communication or realization of well, because and we can't get I around the concept. Well, I think the label of God kind of disempowers us because people, through all throughout time, people are kind of just like you know seeing these amazing things happen and then they're like oh that's god when really they could take some of that and be like we did that mm -hmm. you know what i mean like and be grateful for their own energy having participated in bringing them the thing that they want mm -hmm. there was a phrase some um i think it was robert Anton i pray to myself because i'm the one who's gonna do the work like, come on so Nina. it's kind of like an right. affirmation right i'm like listen that's a lot of responsibility and that's scary for self. people like listen self you know like i pray to a god and a self because the god that i believe is the universe that i can't do right? right i can't hold the universe and conduct all these divine happenings that is the goddess that is the god or spirit universe whatever word you'd like to call it right but i do know that it's just as important to acknowledge my responsibility to take action which is why right. i have that balance there because I'm not just gonna give it all to that force and then expect it to happen for me. It's like, I have to know that if it's meant for me, it'll find me. And then also exercise, also drink enough water, also make sure to say yes to the thing that's uncomfortable, even though it's gonna get me from here to there. And mm -hmm. then show up, mm. like that's on me. That's not on the universe. Robert Anton Wilson said that the only true communication is that between equals. And that was something that set me off because I think I had been battling a God concept that I was either trying to get over or trying to get recognition from. And that phrase, communication is only that between, it can only occur between equals. It made me realize that you're either like praying for something from God or you're cursing God for not getting what you want or whatever. And the idea of actually having to enter into communication meant to raise yourself to a point where you could have that communication. And suddenly it was no longer about petitioning God, but it was about building the ability to have, to, to interact with divinity. Yeah. Instead of and just being subject worthy of it, to divinity. Which is like, we've all That's been the, programmed to be so unworthy and obedient, right? Because we're right. being programmed as 
slaves for people who just want all the money and power in the world. So it's like we have to get past that into aligning with our inherent worthiness and then, yeah, coming into that communication because it's our birthright. Um, are you familiar with Terrence McKenna? Yeah. Okay. So to go back to something you were saying earlier about what you're pulling out of the experience, these psychedelic experiences, something he said that I, I love this phrase is he's like, you're going out in a little boat and you're dropping a depth, a, a net down into the depths. And you want to have your net just so that you're not, all the little things that are not important get to go through the net. Um, but you don't want to catch things that are so big that they're going to wreck your boat. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time I was trying to catch the biggest whale ever with a little tiny net right and a little now. tiny boat. And he gave me the permission to sort of actually take what I need for dinner at the time. To have the net be something to capture things that I can manage and work with rather than trying to take on the heroic t task of like understanding all and everything because that sometimes makes it hard to pay rent when you come back out and you're like i know everything they're like your your you know electric bill is due i'm like i don't know how to pay that though and yeah. having to manage that terrain yeah exactly between sort of interacting with this sort of timeless and you don't know everything you were exactly given the vision. Maybe a fuck ton lot at once. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing that I've been working on not saying is I know. Mm. Because it's one of those things that I say that just kind of comes out. Right. And I'm like, oh, I know. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, you're basically telling the universe that you know all the time. Mm. And then they can't tell you anything. Mm. So I have to stop proclaiming that I know so that I can be taught. Still have the humility yeah. to learn new that's things. that's like, I want to be receptive, right? Yeah. Hmm. But just to finish up on the um, integration topic, this last time that I sat with the medicine, I actually worked with a hypnotherapist. So I'm in a 12-week hypnotherapy specifically for the ayahuasca. Mm. And that way, it was like a big investment for me to do both. And I took it very seriously. Mm -hmm. My intentions were very clear. I sat with her three sessions before, and now I have nine left or something like that, eight left. And that's been profound mm -hmm. for my experience because she prepared my subconscious to let down all resistances towards it. She actually specializes in that like ayahuasca and integrating the ayahuasca experience yeah. into your regular life. So she prepares like your a subconscious to accept it. Yeah. She prepares your subconscious to accept it as not a threat, but as an old friend mm. and then helps you to integrate the process in a way that she's like, you know, she helps me get to the bottom of what my intention is, what changes I want to see in my life, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, like, and then create a foundation and a pathway for me to kind of get there. It's a lot of work, you know? Doing that kind I of work. I take it seriously, but yeah. playfully. You're it's not, like, if you're not having fun, then you're not gonna get it done. That's so been a phrase fun. I tell myself all yeah. the time. And it's my if passion. I'm losing my sense of humor, or I'm losing the sense of play involved, I've taken things too serious, is what I call going native. I get caught up in the story, and I don't get to see the larger play involved. So Isabella asked this question a while ago and I didn't have a way to bring it in organically at that time. So she brought it back up. So thank you very much for bringing that back to our awareness. 
Um, Mahina, what would you say for people who don't have a very visual mind in their dreams and waking life? And then additionally, could it be a faculty that was misused or broken in a past life? Can this be repaired? Um, and this I was, she asked this when we were talking about your visions as a child and all your dreams and the astral projection experiences and things. Um, I would say that right now I'm actually learning a lot about this because one of my intentions for my last ceremony was to um, activate my clairvoyant abilities to like a greater extent. And so now all of my dreams are showing me what that's going to be like and if I really want that. Uh, so I'm having these kind of, I'm predicting the future and seeing deeper into things that are hard to see, they're not comfortable. And what, I, what that's teaching me about visuals and what we're able to see is that if you have a resistance or a fear to something, you're not gonna allow it for yourself. Right. So I would say to get in a journaling relationship with yourself or meditation or even out loud conversation with yourself, and start asking to see. Mm. Just ask. Asking what? To see. To see. To see in the dream. Okay. To activate your inner vision and, and to go your... to sleep with intention. Yeah. I but think all... journaling is like one of the most important journaling things I ever did in my life. Is so important, and you can just say the most random things in there. You, I like to do automatic writing. Mm -hmm. And then also another thing that could help is that you could make a sigil or a symbol. Um, just play around with shapes and let it come to you. Be inspired by nature. Like for example, if you're near the water and you want to have a dream about water or you want to have a dream about a mountain, what's a symbol that you could make with shapes of water and shapes of the mm. mountain? The reason for this is that the more that you draw this symbol, the more that you make this sigil your own, this is the language of the subconscious. So sigils and symbols actually have the ability to go way deeper than any language because it's not a language that we had to learn. It's something that we experience as an inherent mathematic creator of our reality. So it's, the more that you learn, like I have a friend who, who dreamt her, her boyfriend's tattoo and it's like a Hawaiian tattoo, right? And because she knew, because she had the knowledge of what the symbol meant and she developed an emotional relationship to her culture, she was able to understand what it meant in her dream and then he mm. got it tattooed mm. and now it really means something mm -hmm. because symbols cross over. And knowledge of symbols, knowledge of mountains, of fire, water, earth, air, and spirit, they give us a language of feeling to communicate with ourselves on a bigger. It's just. So if, I, if uh, I'll reinterpret that in some of the ways that I'm seeing it, it sounds like you're talking about conjuring to an extent where you people are this um isabella is saying like what about if people don't have a good they don't feel as though they have a good imagination they don't feel as though they're very visual people or that they remember their dreams and and you're speaking about this this it could be a magic or it could be a science but this magic of of conjuring something where if you want something in your life you begin to create it in your life so yeah. you 
create a place for it. And you're also, and you're also, if I can just, and you're also speaking about basically going back to a 101 class. We sort of think of like imagination and dreams as like this, this thing people just have and it's just crazy. And it's like, what if you were a college professor and you turned how to dream into a 101 college class and you're speaking about like, pick a theme, even if it's not what you eventually hope to dream about, you just say, I'm going to think about water and you spend your day life thinking about noticing everywhere that you see and experience water during the day and then you draw water and you listen to water and you just yeah. start meditating on it to the point that it becomes very real and present in your imagination you're noticing it all around you we spend so much time being content consumers and the the mm -hmm. concept of content creation lives on the internet as well as in our lives we feel very reactive in our lives in the west especially a lot of the time i think and so to become a person that is like no now i'm going to bring your i'm going to turn the dial up on water in my life and notice all the water and look at all the water and think about water and wear a water necklace and wear blue clothes and spend more time swimming and then you're creating your you're calling this 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 imagination of water deeper into your psyche and into your awareness in a way that can potentially affect your dreams. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, and you know, we all have certain things that we're really good at, you know, like, and certain things that we're interested in, whereas others are not. And I think if you don't have, like if you're not a visual person, maybe it's just not what you've been focused on. Mm. And so maybe this is the life where you're having a yearning for it, mm. you're having a desire for it, and so now it's time to explore it. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're not capable of it. It just means that you have to begin. Mm. You don't go to the gym once and get the body. Yeah, and I don't think that I just have this ability. I think that that's a part of my priestess initiations. From the memories of those other lifetimes, one of the main things that we would study in the temple was how to travel into altered states of consciousness through purely meditation mm -hmm. and a very focused diet of very minimal things and um, maintain full consciousness and be able to remember every single detail and then bring it back, sit up, and there's your teacher, your high priest is there, or high priestess, they record every single thing that you say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that starts training you. And so that and practice, then you can go back and read it and reaffirm what's in your memory exactly. with ver with so words. So that practice came with me into this life. Mm. I've always recorded my dreams, whether it's oh. on audio. I would just throw wake up and start there, saying I would, stuff. I would record in my sleep. One time, I had this dream that I came and I planted this caduceus in my spine. Boom! What's a caduceus? It's a staff of life. So okay. it's on the ambulance. Only the masculine snakes there. There's one snake wings. Oh, it's yeah. a medical symbol for Hermes. Okay. Yeah, so, medical but in ancient it. Egypt, it's the staff of life, and it was used to heal people. It was infused with great magic. So in this dream, I came, I planted the staff of life in my spine, and wings grew out of it. Mm. And that's why I have this um, tattoo on my back. There are owl wings, and the eye of the eye of um, Horus is like the all-seeing eye at the top, right? And then this down my back, it says, I am a woman and a man dancing in a body that lends itself to adaptations. Mm. So that's my version of the two snakes. And 
the two snakes are like these reptilian brain urges that we have to stay in this fear survival mindset. But once you rise past that through initiations, whether they're modern or ancient, you gain your wings, mm. your consciousness to perceive across all spaces and times and dimensions. Then you rise into the lion consciousness, rather than the a false binary, omniscient yeah. consciousness that is all things. And so I recorded that dream, and it, and what I said when I was recording it was, the primal animal will be selected in totality to initiate freedom in the individual. Precise study, observation, awareness. It was very like, this is your lesson. You know? uh, and it was like voice. the primal animal, like <laughs> the human, my primal animal is selected in totality to awaken to itself and to initiate freedom in mm -hmm. the individual, to expand past my awareness of just Mahina and into the expanded self that we all are. Choosing yourself rather than being in resistance to yourself mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I like it. So, I don't know how much time we have left, so maybe we should have them do some questions because yeah. it's 1.30. It is, yes. And the bay, the Baron might be back soon. The bay, bay. The bay, bay. Yeah. Um, couple last questions. When do you feel as though you can commit to when you're going to bring your podcast out? Oh, as soon as you help me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna get you set I up. I need her assistance. We're gonna get so you set she, up. <laughs> so maybe like this month. I don't know. Okay. I think. Wonder you guys here till, and you guys are gonna be staying here. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. can we can workshop that over the next couple of days. Easy Perfect. peasy. Okay. Well, there's get the you set up. For That's that. so exciting. And then we can <laughs> talk about a workflow, and we can get you on a on a podcast hosting site. Um, most treasured books slash what you're reading right now. Um, so I just finished this one last night. It's called um, A Happy Pocket Full of Money. And it's basically about, it's a quantum understanding of wealth and happiness. Mm. And he's fucking amazing. He was the creative. Who's the author? David Cameron Jacondi. Okay. He was the creative consultant for The Secret when they made it oh, into wow. a movie. So he's a genius. Like everything that he's talking about really helped me view wealth and finance in a different way because just I want to live a life that's comfortable, enjoyable, and I know that every single one of us is worthy of that. I would like to not suffer possible. scarcity. Yeah. So to my surprise, when he starts talking about finance, you know, he says it's actually important to pay taxes. <laughs> to give back to the community, right? 10% right? to taxes, 10% to charity, 10% to something else, 70%. Oh, 10 for investments, 70 for your enjoyment. Right, right. So 10, 10, 10, 70. Right. And I liked that because it's like, okay, yeah. So that was one book that I just finished that I absolutely loved. Um, it was very helpful for me in so many ways. Like, it helped me prepare for my ayahuasca experience that I had. It, it's just a, a quantum understanding of us in relation to the modern world and how to optimize what it can do for us and what we can mm. do for it. Just creating right relationships. Right. 
Um, and then another one which I'm about to start reading that I'm really excited about is called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. Mm. And so this is about how like modern language is basically like a uh, right-brained or mm. would it be left-brained? Left brain. Brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a left-brained thing. Whereas hieroglyphs, and I don't know if they talk about this specifically, but I'm just giving an example of my own belief of what this could be because I was actually watching a YouTube video about hieroglyphs and how they worked in the subconscious of the ancients. And hieroglyphs are a left and right brain language because oh. there's not just rigid lines and this, this, this. Different it's a masculine and feminine mm -hmm. language. So both sides of your brain mm. are illuminated when reading hieroglyphs, if you know how. Mm. So that book was brought up in a conversation about hieroglyphs, the alphabet versus the goddess. Do you have a favorite, like your, like a very pivotal book from a long time ago that people that you just, you just keep keep recommending people all the time? Um, I mean, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I don't know how many times I've read that. Also, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Yes, like right. huge. Um, and then one on numerology that's really helped is called uh, Life Cycles by Christine Delory. It's your journey to emotional freedom. And it's basically about how like the energies of numbers work throughout the years of our lives and the months of our lives and how the cycle that we're in numerologically influences what we're experiencing. And it's crazy how on point it is. Mm. So what was like the Khalil Burkabran book? The Prophet. The Prophet, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, I'm obsessed with rare occult texts. Everybody I have, knows like, what to get you for your birthday then. But be very, <laughs> please be very careful opening occult books that you receive in the mail. You know, just like, don't, like if some rando on Instagram uh. like sends you, like we're gonna get her occult books, and then somebody might fuck send you something dark. Well, you do, yeah. You just don't fucking know, you know. Yeah, like, no, I don't want sending arsenic it's, in the mail. It's is so a relationship old school. I have with myself. It's like a self love thing yeah. I have going on, and it's honestly so hard to gift someone something like that because it's such a very specific like attraction. Some maybe. are just trash. Some are just like pseudo intelligent, wordy motherfuckers. Yeah. You just say right. a lot, say a lot about a time, like blow this up right. to that. Right. And it's like, you didn't need all that just to say this. I found myself doing this sort of serpentine, like this book, because of somebody who reviewed it on the back sparked me and then I found that person and it was very organic. Yeah. Uh, finding the trail, the trail of breadcrumbs in button books and things over time. So Boyce Brown popped in earlier to let us know that there, it, there are actually some courses for um, psychedelic, integrator. psychedelic integrator certificates. Oh, wow. Yeah, so naropa.edu. Oh, I love Naropa. I was going to go there. The, and um, Boulder? Yeah, my, not in Boulder, but thanks to COVID, it's all online now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the California Institute of Integral Studies, he shared some links in the chat of various places that offer, like, trip sitter certificates. Mm. Um, is there a way to save all these links? Yeah, it'll be in the it's, feed. It's yeah. all there, okay. but yes, I won't close this until we copy we copy pasta then something them. for you. Yeah, cool. Thank you, boys. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, we should totally wrap it up. It's been a very interesting show today. I'm curious to see how the audio is going to turn out. <laughs> we should just do another conversation. Have, we should keep doing conversations. I have one question I wanted to ask you about because last the last few years of our show, we've been doing like trauma awareness, trying to understand what the hell's going on in the world, like a lot of sleuthing about how to get an orientation of where we personally are in the larger scheme of things. And this season, I'm trying to focus more on, we've been divided up and shattered up through all these various net narratives. We're just constantly canceling everybody in, in the culture. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts or ideas in terms of how do we come back together? Because I feel like so much of the division is keeping us from having the conversations that we need to have for self-healing and for community healing and that kind of thing. So, like, for example, uh, that's just too big of a job. Mm. We can't really <laughs> worry about it from that angle. We actually have to just get better at communicating from a neutral standpoint mm. so that somebody who can communicate what we're saying to the person who needs to hear it can hear it from the person who heard it from you. Mm. It's not just a you job. Right. Something like that inside I, out rather than something an I want my dad to know, for example, can only be told to him by someone he respects mm. because of something else. Right. He doesn't have the same respect for me that he would have for someone else. Mm -hmm. for it's hard example. in parental kid and relationships that's the same too. For, but that's the same for everyone. Right. Yeah. Everyone has a certain person who they respect and value and put on a pedestal can take information from yeah. they can take information from those people so it's about just committing to having these conversations and then honestly just knowing that they're going to find who's need who's meant to find them mm. just by us having them yeah. we're putting it out there and people will find them mm. and then they will we have to just encourage people to keep speaking up and to keep, you know, building communities, building friendships where these kind of conversations are normal, which is like, that actually takes work. Because I don't know about you guys, but in the beginning of this life for me, I would cry when I would talk about stuff that was real, because it hurt. Yeah. It wasn't comfortable. And I think a lot of people need to know that. Like, if you're at the beginning of your healing journey, or if you, you know, in the beginning, it's really hard. Yeah. When people, when you talk about things, it hurts. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And and sometimes people are going to hold you and sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. And you have to hold yourself mm -hmm. in those moments. And honestly, congratulate yourself for being so vulnerable that you're allowing yourself to be seen in a way that could be judged, but you don't care because you're liberated because you're finally seen mm -hmm. in what you actually, actually feel. Yeah. If we don't start by grieving what we've lost, mm. we can't transcend being a victim of it. That's the step everybody wants to skip. Yes. <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to not go into grief because grief feels like accepting what has happened rather than feeling like, um, you know, you're like, if I, if I grieve, that means I'm accepting the bullshit. I'm accepting yeah. that it happened to me, and I don't and I'm, accept it. And I'm second, and I don't want to accept that that's what's happening, and so I'm not going to grieve. And you have to grieve. You must go through the valley of the shadow of death. You know. You All right. The only way that you're that you even will be able to understand the joy, and it, and it's a choice, right? It's free will. 
So you have to be able to have experienced the dark night of the soul mm -hmm. and then know that it was comfortable for you in some aspect. You made it. You right, right. were comfortable there. With the unhappiness. And your attachment to it is because it feels safe, mm -hmm. no matter how fucked up it may have Familiar been. with your traumas. Then you have to have the courage to turn to the unknown, which is actually synonymous with the light and mm -hmm. with the joy mm -hmm. and the bliss. The unknown isn't actually so scary. It's just, it's actually we came from yeah. scary. Scary is comfortable. I want something mm -hmm. else, but I don't know what it is. Therefore, it's scary. And it's mm -hmm. like no, you literally don't get to have something else without going into the unknown. Yeah, yeah you don't get to a new. You have to leave the dock before you can find another place to dock. A couple yeah. short questions. So short okay. answer. Short answer. So <laughs> Isabella Cash, thank you for all your time. Mahina, what are you most excited about in the future? Um, short answer. The podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So exciting. Gaialog. G-A-I-A-I. G-A-I-A log. It's going to yeah. be Gaialog. Okay, yeah. Lower Shell. How can I communicate with Mihina? And does she do any kind of one-on-one -on -one session right now? Um, I haven't really been doing one-on-one -on -one sessions, but if you send me an email, we can discuss what that might look for you. Like if you really feel like you're feeling called to that, then I can always orchestrate one around that. Mm-hmm. For you. Do you want to share your email here or would it be better if she reached out to you on Instagram? Yeah, you can reach out to me on Instagram and I can give you my email through that. Okay. Um, Boyce Brown says we should make our own Halawanana for psychedelic integration. I could help get it accredited. That would be dope. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why don't you get on that, Boyce? And yeah, Boyce, let's do it. We'll have a conference call next week. We'll set it up. Okay, synchronicities are flooding in through Boyce Brown's life right now. That's so exciting. Nice. Those are the best. I feel as though I just sort of live in a river of synchronicity now. Like, yep. the more I got out of the way of the river for myself, the, the more amazing things are happening. Like, yep. I got out of the way of thinking that I was the one steering the thing and just, like, laid back and relaxed in the river. And now it's like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I always feel like we just start getting going in the conversation when it's time to end it. That's why we the keep having... The lawnmowers are finally gone. <laughs> we keep having conversations. Yeah. So yeah. let's do this again sometime. And thanks yeah, for coming on it. the show. Absolutely. Thank you so thanks. much. Thank you for having me. That was so fun. Cool. Thanks, everybody, Thank for you. tuning in. For Sorry about all the horrible yes. noises. <laughs> but well, it's a part of the cosmic concert. It is. We'll figure out what makes it, makes it through. We're going to do it again sometime, and it's going to be more better. Thank you for visiting our Outpost in the Borderlands. Post-Orthodoxy is a project of Sevier Studios. We host ongoing, interactive conversations centered around cognitive liberty, and you can join in by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can also catch each conversation after the fact as a podcast by searching for Post-Orthodoxy wherever podcasts are found. If you take value from the work we are doing and the community we are building together, you can support the Outpost in the Borderlands for as little as $5 a month on our website, BetterTime. That's betterti.me. Visit the Sevier Studios page and subscribe. You can also support The Outpost by following and connecting with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and or Substack. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble? 
I think I dribbled a bit that last one. 